Coming up on today's show, trash QB Josh Allen beats Jalen Ramsey and the Jags. OBJ is questioning the Giants again, and Baker rolls into Hughes' house and dominates, and then forgets the hug. Plus, the Vikings might be the king of celebrations. Phillip Rivers gets a crazy record, and would Cliff Kingsbury work in the NFL? All that and so much more on a big Monday episode of the Tomahawk Show. Hey, what's up? It's Megan down here, a brown fan in Lake Charles, Louisiana. You guys were asking about the best sandwiches around. Uh, you have not lived until you've experienced a Daryl's special at Daryl's Cowboy in Lake Charles. You guys haven't been down to Louisiana. We have the best cooking in the country. So stop by Daryl's in Lake Charles. And as always, go Browns. What is up, Joe, Hawk, Natty, and Zerm? I just want you to know that you have fans all over the world, man. This podcast is blowing up. I'm in Managua, Nicaragua. I've been listening to you guys. So, yeah, this thing is going to be global and taking over pretty soon. The best podcast in the universe. Best sandwich. Tell you what, Zerm, down here in Managua, we love an iguana sandwich, buddy. Throw some iguana on that. And you can throw your mayo on it down here, too, but especially the hot sauce and chili. Have a good one, guys. Hey, this is Beef Brisket calling from Minnesota. This is a message for Joe Thomas. On behalf of all Vikings fans, please continue picking them to lose because every time you do, they win. Big time, brother. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show presented by Uninterrupted. Make sure you're hitting us on our social pages at Tomahawk Show, Instagram, and Twitter. Use the hashtag Tomahawk to interact with the show. I'm joined, as always, by my humblest of co-hosts, former Cleveland Brown Joe Thomas, our guy Zerm, and always Fat Nat. How you guys doing today? Doing good, my friend. Coming off of the beautiful and filling Thanksgiving weekend, I think I had like four Thanksgiving dinners, and so I weigh probably almost as much as Andrew Hawkins does right (laughs) now. So definitely need to get back in the pool and start doing some laps to trim off some of this holiday fat that I put on already. I have some media uh, obligations that I have to do with my shirt off coming up. Oh, God. Not excited to introduce that dad bod to the world, but (laughs) I'm persevering through it. (laughs) Hey, you can't just drop that on us and then go, uh, next topic. What type of media obligations would you possibly be doing with your shirt off? I'm not at liberty to discuss, but it's going to get weird. Uh Let's just let's just put it that way. There could be some <laughs> all right. wrestling involved. Oh, that's okay. all I'm gonna say about it. You guys, you still eating Thanksgiving dinner? Hey, hey, whoa, whoa. hang on. We can't move on. I need to know. Don't say anything <laughs> if if you would like to confirm that you are now a full time underwear model. No, okay, um, it's not, it's not underwear model. Not. I'm telling you, <clears throat> this bod is not getting me any. Maybe plus size model. Have, have you decided to? Uh, attack a new diet and exercise plan or are you just going to roll the dice and just go for it and wing it oh yeah i'm like super serious about my diet <laughs> as he's eating a kit kat for those yeah, of andrew you hawkins is currently eating feed. a kit kat at 8 23 yeah. in the morning <laughs> i am uh it's time to lock in and really get serious about my fitness oh um, that's fantastic no i'm still eating thanksgiving food anybody else still hitting leftovers or am i i am i are am you? i'm, I'm I'm a big fan of the leftover turkey sandwiches. I put like a little bit of mayo and some lettuce and a tomato in there yeah. and pepper and salt. It's very important to add those spices. A lot of people overlook pepper and salt on their sandwich, and that's why they can't get the title of Zerm's World's Greatest Sandwich. So, uh, Zerm, what about you? Do you enjoy the leftover turkey sandwiches? Um, you know what? I, I'm not a huge like leftover turkey person. I'm much more of a leftover mashed potatoes, leftover mm. stuffing. Uh, I'm more in that area. The leftover turkey, the taste to me is kind of weird. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm much more of a uh, let's get the mashed potatoes back out. Let's get that stuffing back out. Let's get a little gravy action going. But uh, mm. no, I can't. You know what? I can't say even though I am a sandwich kind of sore, I am not eating leftover turkey sandwiches. I don't know if that's blasphemy to say or not. Yeah, no, nah, it's <laughs> blasphemous. <laughs> All sure. right, fair enough. Great. I, you are the sandwich connoisseur, by the way. Go ahead, Hawk. I was gonna say my draft didn't get as 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 bad the reaction as you all basically made it out to be, and I should have <laughs> known that because Fat, fat Nat is full of bad takes, 
And <laughs> people were like, you know what? I like lasagna on Thanksgiving. It's outside the box. And I even I even introduced a couple people to a new tradition. So that's all I'm saying. It wasn't that people didn't like lasagna because let's be honest, if we had to go with like top five family entrees of all time, lasagna <laughs> would be up there. First of all, it's cheap. No. And it's delicious, and the leftovers are even better than the first time you serve it. So lasagna is great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you could serve hamburgers on Thanksgiving, and I would be really happy. But the idea that <laughs> Thanksgiving is a unique tradition where you eat something that maybe you don't always eat, I think was lost in the Hawkins family. But that's okay. Yeah, we don't always eat lasagna. We're not Italian. What are you talking about? That is, that is our. That is us stepping out of the box. Hey, touche. Great point. Nat, what did you do for Thanksgiving? Um, Thanksgiving is always at my house in the Bay Area, and I just have our cousins come over, aunts, uncles, everyone comes over, and we have have the typical Thanksgiving meal, but we also have a lot of Armenian food on the table, too, because naturally. But yeah, it was good. It was fun. Got to see all my family, drove home, made the long drive home yesterday, Um, so I'm a little tired. How long of a drive is it? It's like six hours, but with traffic on the day that everyone's driving back, it's like seven or eight, depending on if you stop. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Mm. Your takes are always a lot more soft spoken on the show than they are on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> what did I, I just them. give I a take? <laughs> I felt like on Thanksgiving, you were like, Thanksgiving food is trash. Don't at me. I never <laughs> said here, it was like, trash. We had family come over. And <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, um, classic millennial, right, Hawk? Exactly. Like they're they're such hard asses on social media, <laughs> exactly, and then man. you see them in person, and they're just kitty cats. Keep that same energy, Matt. That's all we're saying. <laughs> hey, wait, we didn't talk about this. Do you guys eat macaroni and cheese on Thanksgiving? No, that is Sometimes. a cultural thing. I thought everybody ate macaroni and cheese. That's like the first dish that leaves our house. Like, so, I right, give us the full rundown on what you had for Thanksgiving. Okay. I want to hear because it could be a, a cultural divide we're having here. We're bridging we're bridging cultures here on the Tomahawk Show. You know, we're 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 blending. It's it's just a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We definitely need uh, more black people on the show. But um, <laughs> but all of the people that work behind the scenes are black people. <laughs> Very so true. I'm not sure what that says about our show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could be we're, good or could be bad. Appropriators right? is what we are. Um, <laughs> so all right. So the foods we had we had stuffing obviously. Turkey, cranberry sauce, we had green beans, we had mac and cheese, lasagna, as we mentioned, we had some uh, beans and rice, um, cornbread, rolls, Mm. what other meats did we have? Good more meats? Yeah, we had chicken. Mm. How'd Um, you do the chicken? I don't do it. My My sister did all the cooking. She cooked for like 40 people. Holy smokes. She must be a beast. She is a beast, man. Who else? There was there's more food. Okay, I have a question. Maybe this is where my cultural difference comes in. What even is stuffing? <laughs> like what's in it? Okay. Because we never, move on to the next we time. never yeah, have yeah. that. That's, That's like not a thing that my family does <laughs> is stuffing. Is that an Armenian thing or is it like a West Coast thing? Like I mean even even the Hawkins family that eats lasagna on Thanksgiving <laughs> does stuffing. I don't even know you tell me you don't even know stuffing. what it is? No. Wow. Mm. Just sounds like a mystery. Uh, dressing? Do you like... call it dressing? No. You know, you you really don't know what it is. Got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll download you offline on that because I feel like that's going to that's gonna need its own oh. segment. Yeah, we'll get you on Thanksgiving show. for Dummies book. We'll send it okay, right cool. over to your home. <laughs> Perfect. It'll be big and yellow yeah. for you. All right, listen. Make sure you guys are interacting with the show. Again, hit us up on social at Tomahawk Show. Send us all your concerns, comments. Leave us a voicemail. We love our voicemails, man. We put them at the beginning of our show. It's a way for you to also be a co-host of the Tomahawk Show. Hit us up at 440-628-1376 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. Now it's time to get into our three and out segment. All right, Hawk. Thanks, man. Let's uh, get into the most interesting game for me this weekend was Buffalo versus Jacksonville because... Um, Jalen Ramsey was just dogging Josh Allen all year. And then even before the game, I guess you can see Jalen Ramsey pointing to the Bills sideline, getting everybody hyped up, saying, Josh Allen, you're trash. He's telling everybody on the uh, Bills sideline that they're trash. And then after the game, of course, the Buffalo Bills win, and Ramsey has to put his tail between his legs and go shake hands. But 
Josh Allen had a remarkable game. One of the greatest performances for a quarterback of all time. He rushed for 99 yards on 13 carries. He even threw for 160 yards with eight completions in 19 attempts. And he is most definitely not trash. One of the greatest performances, like I said, for a rookie quarterback of all time. Hawk, what was your take on this exciting and wild game? Even though it was not conventional, there was fights. There was guys getting thrown out. There was Jalen Ramsey being nice to people at the end of the game. It was just insane. <laughs> Get wild. My favorite parts of the game were, A, when Moncrief had the big catch and they were trying to figure out who got the reception or if it was an interception. And that's when the melee broke out. There was a big fight. And those two just laid on the ground for like – four extra minutes, literally both hugging the ball. So there's a fight going on in the field, and the only two guys that are fighting for the ball <laughs> just laid on the ground throughout the entire thing until someone broke them up, literally, like, for, like, four minutes straight, just hugging the football, both of them. Until, <laughs> and they were probably wondering why nobody was coming to get them, but everybody was fighting. My second favorite <laughs> thing was when Leonard Fournette and uh, Lawson from the Bills got into it close to the fans in Buffalo. I fully expected Buffalo fans to start trying to hit Fournette and get into the fight as well, and they didn't, which I feel like I'm rewarding adults for children behavior, but I was proud of them for not doing something stupid in that moment, the fans in Buffalo. Lastly, Jalen Ramsey, I love the fact that he shit talks everybody under any circumstance, and <laughs> this game was no different. They lost. And, you know, Josh Allen was super pumped up. And I feel like you're going to – you were a little sarcasm there, diminishing his numbers. But they got to win. And you picked up on that. 260 yards is 260 yards, Joe. I, I'm okay. not here for the you only threw for 160. It's a different age in professional football, buddy. This is the Lamar Jackson era where we're going to rush 25 yes. times for as a quarterback for 150 yards. No, I, I was teasing him a little bit, but 200 and what, 259 yards? Still, we're not exactly talking about epic performances by a quarterback. I'm pretty sure Baker Mayfield had that in like the first quarter and the half of the Bengals and Browns game yesterday. But no, I, I want to hear your take because I'm, I'm really interested about, the, about this. So Leonard Fournette got tossed out of the game for coming off the sideline to join the fight. Mm -hmm. And then after the game... He went with the tired cliche of, oh, I had to back my boys up. Uh, I had to protect my own because they couldn't protect themselves. So I did what I had to do by hurting my team, coming off the sideline, helping a guy that's in a wrestling match with a helmet on, and doing absolutely nothing in any way to help my team, only hurt my team by getting myself ejected, and then backing it up with, a lame ass apology on Instagram. What were your thoughts? Um, I don't. I didn't mind it to be honest. I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I'm an in the moment kind of guy. If somebody ran up on you, Joe, and it was probably smarter for me to keep the cooler head, probably not going to happen. I swing first and I ask questions later. We'll figure it out on the back end. But for now, I'm going off instinct. That's what Leonard Fournette was doing. He can't help who he is. He's not a let's talk it out kind of guy like yourself, Joe. He's more like Hawk. Let's throw down now, and then later we'll figure out what was the best way to go about it. So I think there's two interesting things that we need to look at. So one is, okay, we're at the, the great Super Bowl parties that we attend every year, mm -hmm. and somebody comes up on me. I'm coming off the sideline, right? I'm coming off the top rope. I'm helping my man Hawk out. I know okay. he's a little man, but he's got a big heart, but that doesn't mean 10 big bodyguard right. dudes trying to kill him. He needs my help, right? Yeah. So I'm coming over. Nine, I can assistance. handle. If it's ten, you got to jump in. You got to jump in. Ten is where we draw the line. Exactly. Nine, I'm letting you go and uh, waylace to those poor men's souls. I can handle that. Ten, you need me to at least come over there and do the uh, the trip move, which is my favorite <laughs> maneuver. Grab them by the neck from behind and trip them and throw them down to the ground. But when you're playing a football game, first of all, there's like referees everywhere. There's already. 11 dudes on the field on your team that are going to help try to break it up. Second of all, you're wearing a helmet and pads. So whatever punching is going to go on, that's going to like somehow hit your helmet. It's not going to hurt you. So you're in no danger whatsoever of being physically injured. The only danger of happening in a fight in a football practice or a game is that you hurt yourself by trying to punch somebody in the helmet or 
you get yourself thrown out of the game and then it hurts your team. So to me, like the whole idea of, oh, my buddy was fighting in a football game. He needed my help is just stupid. And and then to try to back it up by saying, oh, that's just my reaction. That's just who I am. That's that's just a doubling down of something stupid. And I feel like there's a divide between offensive and defensive players in this, whereas like an offensive player in their mind is more methodical and like results oriented. I think that's just how we're wired, generally speaking, Mm -hmm. Uh, because the most important thing is winning the game. So every decision that I make once I walk out of that tunnel is what can I do to help myself better win this game? And anything that happens on that field that I do is going to be a dichotomous question of did this help my team? Yes or no, win the game. And I think from Leonard Fournette's perspective, he was wrong because he hurt his team's ability to try to win the game. Why am I wrong? um, Because both Leonard Fournette and myself are both offensive players as well. That's true. So that's the first reason why you're wrong. So maybe it's an offensive line thing. Maybe, but if if you're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, who who was a a D lineman that you played against? Um, Kevin Green. Comes off. Never played against Kevin Green. <laughs> Not that damn old. Back in the back in the eighties, Kevin Green comes <laughs> off the edge and he plants one of your quarterbacks, uh, Jake Delhomme. He plants yeah. Jake Delhomme. Are you going to then fight him? Like I know there's offensive line like code of conduct that if you get your if someone hit a cheap shot at your quarterback, you go protect them. Is that not yes. the same logic that you say? Oh well, no, no. they blindsided mm-hmm. my quarterback, agree. but I'm in a football game and it's going to hurt my team. And I don't, shouldn't fight because we have helmets on, so I'm going to mm-hmm. let them do that. No, I, I didn't say that. I would go up until the point that I was going to hurt my team to try to protect my quarterback. Because the rules of the game and the, and the referees, everybody's there that is going to protect your quarterback. So it's not like you need to go protect him. He gets planted. You need to go over there and make Kevin Green know that, hey, this is not going to be allowed. So you get in his face. You push him. You shove him. You go up until the point you're going to get a flag. You go up until the point you're going to get thrown out of the game. And you maybe say some things about like, hey, the next time the ref's not watching, you're in deep shit. I'm going (laughs) right for those knees. I'm going right for the back of the kneecaps. Okay, kid? (laughs) But running off the sideline. First of all, you know it's going to get you ejected. You're a player that's very important to this team. Second of all, you're not going to do anything. What, are you going to push him, shove him? That's nothing, right? So I think there is a difference in my mind. Yeah, well, Leonard Fournette apologized on his IG after being ejected from the game for fighting with Shaq Lawson. So it was a crazy game, and I think he actually agrees with you, uh, which is nuts. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. All right, second down, we got OBJ <laughs> criticizing the Giants' offensive game plan after they blew a 16-point lead to the Eagles. He basically said, coming in, knowing the secondary was trash, I would have went to myself a little bit more, but I'm not the guy who gets to make those decisions. What was your take on it, Joe? <laughs> I, I love the passive-aggressive by OBJ because he's like uh, – Personally, I would have attacked their struggling secondary, but it wasn't in our game plan. Like, can you imagine more of a dagger at their offensive coordinator and their head coach than, well, they sucked in this area and I would have gone after their suckiness, but it wasn't our game plan to try to beat them? Like, this is the, the, the ultimate show of disrespect. So what was their game um, plan? Because in this game, Saquon Barkley went off in the first half and then he had like 90, what, 92 yards rushing in the first half. And in the second half, he only had like, like one yard, three carries for like four yards. Like they completely stopped going to him. So if they weren't going in the pass game and they weren't going in the running game, what was the game plan? The special teams. They were going to try to attack him with the punt. 
Three knees. And no, I had the same question. I had the same question as you did. I know you get to watch like the Sports Center ten TVs at once. I didn't see this game, so whatever I'm going to say now is going to be totally made up based on the statistics uh-huh. and the things that I'm looking at right now. Which is sports but, media. Continue. Yeah. Yes. Which is everything that we do. But <laughs> I'm just laughing to myself because I'm with you. Like Saquon Barkley only had a couple carries in the second half. He had like a yard. Uh, they didn't have anybody else who had any carries. So, like, if they weren't attacking him in the run game, clearly, they had to be throwing the ball at him. So what is OBJ even talking about? Yeah, he didn't get all that many targets. Um, he had nine targets for the game and uh, five receptions. But So maybe per- what he was saying is they should have thrown me the ball. Not obviously. we should have thrown the ball. Yeah, obviously, he meant throw me the ball. And I, like, I, don't, I think it's just more of us. Like Sometimes we just, again, as sports media members now – we have to figure out headlines to talk about, and this is just one of the ones they chose for the week. When you show me a game where OBJ comes out and says, yo, we should not be passing me the ball today. <laughs> like, this, this, that wasn't the – like, they threw it to me way too much today, and I just don't think our offensive coordinator thought this through. Whenever you show me that OBJ quote, then this will be news. Otherwise, every single game that he ever plays as a wide receiver, as one of the top play, paid wide receivers, he's going to say, throw me the football. That's what you want your receiver to do in the first place. Here's what I think OBJ meant to say. He said, we only had three punts in the entire game. I think we should have tried to attack their team a little bit more with the punting game. <laughs> is that a real quote? No, that's what he should have said. Oh, yeah. Instead of, instead of um, like, what the saying that we about? should have thrown the ball more in our game plan, he should have said, because they obviously didn't run the ball because it wasn't effective in the first half, they should have. We should have attacked them more with the punting game because we only punted the ball three times today. That would be a genius. Next-gen stats right there from uh, my guy yeah. OBJ. All right, third down, the juiciest part of today's oh, show. Is good. The Browns, my Browns go into my Bengals stadium. And, yes, they're both mine. It's very complicated, as you all know. Baker throws for four touchdowns, puts the Brown up, Browns up 35-7 to seven at one point. And is the orchestrator of one of the most awkward handshakes I've ever seen in any walk of life, man. This game was incredible to watch from a Browns perspective. There's just so much to unpack here, Joe. Where do we start, man? Just I, Well, I think we should just break down the game a little bit. Let's talk football um, first. That's a perfect let's talk start. actual football and then talk drama and TMZ next. Okay, because okay, there was hella TMZ drama in this one. All right, Baker bought out. And this is what Freddie Kitchens has done an incredible job. This is what he's done a great job at. Since the beginning of the year, the position of strength has been the running backs, right? That's where we've had too many cooks in the kitchen, we've said, where they, mm-hmm. they started out with Carlos Hyde. They uh, drafted Chubb. They signed Duke Johnson to a longer-term deal. So that's where the, our position of strength is. What Freddie Kitchens has done an incredible job of doing is using that position, which is genius. He must have gone to the <laughs> Odell Beckham School of Play Calling because what that does is not only do you put it in the hands of your most talented position more often, you're also getting it out of Baker Mayfield's hands sooner. And by doing that, you're helping Baker Mayfield. You're helping the offensive line who has struggled earlier in the year. But if you sit him back in the pocket – like the Pittsburgh Steelers do with Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, and you just let them run around for seven seconds, if that's your offense, it's going to be hard on those offensive linemen. So Freddie Kitchens has done a great job of, hey, we're going to use these running backs in the pass game, get it out of our hands, get it to them, and let them do big plays. And it's, it's helped Baker settle in, and it's honestly, it's helped all the positions. And they look like, honestly, one of the best offenses in the AFC over these last couple of weeks. I'm loving what I'm seeing from the Browns and Freddie Kitchens, like you mentioned, has done an amazing job. And you know how good of a job Freddie Kitchens has done? How good of a job has he done? The number one guy in the media right now that keeps begging for this Browns gig is Bruce Arians. And he has come out publicly and said, if I'm the head coach, I'm going to keep Freddie Kitchens as my offensive coordinator and I'm going to keep Greg Williams as my defensive coordinator. So please hire me because I will change absolutely nothing except for (laughs) I will pay myself the $4 million head coaching salary. So that's how good of a job those two guys have done. I'll do this. Can I be on record and say I will do the same thing, Cleveland Browns? I will keep Freddie Kitchens. I will keep Greg Williams. And as Andrew Hawkins, as your head coach, I will gladly take that $4 million and sit in my office and scroll Instagram like I do every day. 
and this team will continue on the track that is on now. All right. You know what I think we should do? Since the Browns were really big on ground-breaking, trailblazing moves last week, uh, interviewing Condoleezza Rice, a person that has had (laughs) zero playing or coaching experience in football for their head coaching job, they should interview the Tomahawk Show and trailblaze an opportunity to give four people the head coaching role where we can all easily sit up there and Instagram all day Mm -hmm. and let Greg Williams run the defense, let Freddie kitchen continue to dominate and run the offense and we'll get the paycheck. And if we suck, we can all get fired. Yeah. I don't mind getting fired. Very, I I am happy being the figurehead and the fall guy Mm -hmm. getting fired after a couple years, going home, making our salary, continuing to do the Tomahawk show. We'll actually speak to the team because I know the Browns players all listen to the Tomahawk show. So we'll do all of our speaking to the team through the Tomahawk show. We'll record our podcast live in front of the team. That'll be the way we speak to them. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's the way that we should do it. But let let me ask you this. Um, How bad is the – Bengals secondary because I'm watching that game yesterday going what the hell's going on out here like I know they just fired their defense coordinator and like Hugh and Marvin are kind of running the defense right now but specifically let me talk about one play there was a play uh where Baker started scrambling to his left it was in the red zone they were on like the 20 yard line and he threw that touchdown pass in the back left corner of the end zone to Antonio Callaway do you know the play I'm talking about all right So for those of you football savants, the Bengals had dropped eight guys. They only rushed three and they dropped eight. And so that's a really common thing in the red zone. So in the red zone, a lot of times teams are either going to all out blitz to try to make you throw the ball quickly so they can tackle you short of the goal line, tackle you short of the first down marker, get you to have to kick a field goal. Or what the next strategy that's really common is they drop eight guys, which is basically the maximum number of guys you can put into coverage and then just hope that the, the quarterback gets happy feet, has to run around and throws the ball away or throws it into tight coverage and they get a breakup. That, those are kind of like the two most common red zone goal line type defenses, right? Mm-hmm. So the Bengals dropped eight in this situation. Baker Mayfield barely had to scramble. He moved a little bit to his left, threw the ball to a nearly wide open Antonio Callaway. And for those of you math majors, when you're dropping eight, the offense has five that can ha- that can go out on a route. So that means nearly everybody's double covered. And Antonio Callaway being the X receiver, being like the top guy, he is going to have two people covering him at all times. Somehow he's able to shake both those guys, get open for a relatively easy touchdown pass. And then and that was in that point that I said, holy shit, the Bengals secondary is fucking terrible. And Baker Mayfield <laughs> might become the MVP of the league in this game alone. In this game by itself. The problem with the Bengals is a couple of things. Number one, they cut George Iloka, who was kind of the smart guy on the defense. So he wasn't like he wasn't going to get you a bunch of big hit highlights, but he was always – he was super sound. He got everybody else lined up. He very rarely, like, missed a play um, – as it pertains to assignment, you know, but they just felt like they can get out of his contract early, so they cut him um, in exchange for Sean Williams, who's a good player, who is more of the the big hit splash guy, but it did take away from some of the stability in the secondary. There's that. There's also been other injuries. Even in that game alone, they lost two guys in an already depleted secondary in the middle of that game. The defense for Cincinnati isn't good. They've already fired their defensive coordinator, and Marvin Lewis has taken over. And typically when that happens, the defense doesn't get better. Like, that, they've lost plays on the final game, on final plays of the game, because the defense has broken down. I've broken them down throughout the season. So there's that. The defense is really, really bad. Not to mention, the best defensive player on the Cincinnati Bengals is the same as the best offensive player on the Cincinnati Bengals. His name is A.J. Green. And he's not there. The team, <laughs> since I've been there in 2011, the team goes as A.J. Green goes. If A.J.'s not in the lineup, they don't win. If he is, they have a chance. Typically, the games are close. Late in the game, they throw it up. He goes above one or two guys. He makes the catch. All's well. Everyone looks good. He kind of saves everyone's job. I've said it since 2011. A.J. Green is that team's MVP. He's the only reason the offense does well. He's the only reason the defense is even motivated or feels like they have a chance to win. He wasn't there in this game, and it showed from start to finish. Demarius Randall before the game was 100% right. If they don't have A.J. Green in the game, we're going to beat their ass, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> well, I think that's great. Um, 
even though this is our three and out segment, I think we really need to dive into the TMZ side of yes. things now because there was two really interesting things that happened in this game. Uh, I think even if you're not a Browns or Bengals fan, you can get excited about this. But um, Baker Mayfield, it seems that there is a new Cold War brewing between him and his former head coach, Hugh Jackson. All signs are pointing to the fact that he didn't like Hugh. And even though Hugh has been extending the olive branch multiple times this week, uh, Baker did not accept. No, Let's put it that he way. He was not so, with the shits. <clears throat> so he, he, they kind of made a lot of comments about how kind of Baker – um, was not impressed with Hugh, and he didn't think that he would be able to give the Bengals any insight into beating the the Browns as if Bake, you know, Hugh was kind of clueless when he was the head coach. That was sort of the impression Baker was giving off mm -hmm. during the week. Then before the game, they kind of had an awkward moment. After the game was the most awkward moment I've seen in pro football this year where <laughs> Hugh went up to like kind of say congratulations, you know, good luck. And he, he gave him the uh, like uh, old man awkward his, uh, his arm handshake. His was so stiff. Like it was like. I, it was one step away from a stiff arm. Yeah, let's put it that it way. Was, it, it was not a, much of a handshake. There's a really great photo, a still shot, and it's like from behind Hugh Jackson, and Baker is not even, they're shaking hands, and Baker's head is looking the other way. He's like looking at another person. He's like, please get me out of this situation. It's so uncomfortable. It was so awkward, so, man. Ultimate sign of disrespect there from Baker to Hugh, and you, you could just see how beaten Hugh was. Like the fact that, he thought he had this good relationship with all the guys in the Browns and they were just kind of dogging him all week. And then his defense played like shit. And then his quarterback that he is his quarterback <laughs> as of a couple of weeks ago, gives him this most disrespectful of handshakes. So um, my quick take on that is I'm really okay with my quarterback trying to find motivation for himself, for his team to try to rally the troops in the locker room by like having this, turncoat mentality against Hugh Jackson like he was our head coach and he was trying to get us to believe in him and what he was selling and then he uh, was a traitor and he went to the Bengals <laughs> and like completely ignoring the fact that he got fired I, in say, Cleveland. I don't think Baker knows how losing your job works <laughs> yeah like I'm not sure if Baker knows that he actually got fired I think he in his mind still thinks that uh he transferred like, he, he, thought he it was, transferred he, it was a transfer like he got a better job opportunity to be like the uh uh intern in Cincinnati so he took his internship <laughs> uh but I'm okay like I understand when I was in high school I always tried to find motivation in every game because when, when you're just kind of playing the game and in, in college too you're not playing it for money you don't have a family you don't have like bills you don't have a reason outside of just like high school type motivation. Like I hate this guy right. to go out and try to play as well as you possibly can. But I think once you play a long time in the league, like you realize how important every play is and you realize how important this job is to you, to your family, to your life. And that the stakes are enormously high and even higher than they ever could be. If there was some type of external like disrespect or motivation that is perceived. <clears throat> and I think, a lot of the guys in the Browns and Baker kind of coming right out of college still are still always looking for that external motivation, a reason to hate the enemy. Mm -hmm. Like, I hate the Bengals. I hate the Steelers. And a lot of times that's how fans think, which is totally understandable. But the longer you play in the league, the longer you understand the business side of things. But that doesn't change the fact that you can be supremely motivated from a player's perspective to want to go out and play as well as you can in order to protect your job and your family and to try to win the game because that's how you keep your job in pro sports. Yeah, I wish he would have just I like, honestly I wish he would have said in the post game like I just don't like you. Like that would have been to me I wish he would literally just came out and been like look man I just don't like the dude really that much and you know, I'm not going to act like we're buddy buddy when we're not. Mm -hmm. Because to say yeah. him going to Cincinnati is the reason why you were bad like not a lot of people were lined up to give you a job. Let's 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 call it what it is. You expect them yeah. not to jump on an opportunity to go coach a team. So that's there's that, and there's also like you says as far as the motivation. I understand that part from from his perspective. Like you have to do that as a professional athlete. Um, I would do it even up until I retire. Like I loved playing against the Ravens specifically for some reason. Um, 
because when I was like first came in the league, they had like Ray Lewis and Suggs, and I would trick my mind into thinking like, oh, they're trying to kill me out here, and it's either me or them. Like I don't have a choice and to, to be scared. Like if I don't go at them, they're going to try to kill me. And I would literally tell myself that before games, and Jedi mind trick myself into thinking that they were literally trying to take my life and take me away from my family. So I get the motivation part, but again, I like how badass would it have been if, if in the press conference Baker was just like, yeah, I just don't like the dude, and I typically <laughs> don't show a lot of love to people I don't like, and we'll see him later on this season, yeah. and it'll be the same reaction. People would have been see, like, oh. I would have believed that more. Yeah, it would have, it would have came would across have more, more authentic that way. Yeah, it, to me, I it didn't come across as totally authentic, for him and some of the other players to say like, oh, he tr- he's a traitor. I'm like, okay. He got fired in Cleveland. What do you want him to do, retire from football? Like, he's never allowed to coach ever. Like, the guy that's <laughs> coaching Baker Mayfield right now is a guy named Ken Zampezi, and I'm not sure if <laughs> he knows who he is, but he was the guy who was the offensive coordinator in the Bengals who got fired and went right to the Browns. So, like, when you get fired, then you go and you get a job with your buddy. That's just the business of the NFL. Um, and I don't – I'm not exactly sure – if Baker hates Hugh or if he was able to just get that motivation for himself and the team. Yeah. I don't know. To, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not exactly positive, but like to go to your point about the, the Ravens, it's easy to think that Terrell Suggs and Ray Lewis were trying to kill you. Yeah. Like I, I, that, that is not far fetched at all. Like that's an easy way to get legitimate motivation to motivate the team by, like talking about how much we hate Hugh because he's a traitor. If I was a veteran in that locker room, I'd be like, I don't know if he's a traitor. That's like, why it's good are, veterans aren't in there because we would have yeah, been in yeah. there like, eh, traitor? Like, I, know, <laughs> I know I'd go like, play you, for the Bengals if they gave me the right amount of money if I got traitor, <laughs> yes. <am> I right? <laughs> Actually, we've got the original traitor right here with us, Andrew say, Hawkins. Started he was with the Bengals. They signed him, and then the Browns matched him. The ba- so, Dude, he, could I tell you how mad the Bengals were at me? Like – yeah, like up until now, there's still people in the organization who are mad at me for leaving the Bengals for that offer sheet, and I'm like, uh, hello, family, got to take care of them. <laughs> but yeah, I guess maybe that's why I have a bad take. Maybe I am a traitor. Holy shit, I just now realized you are a traitor. Wow, that's a but big I, moment I on the Tomahawk show. Right this yeah. is a break. We ha- we have to be honest with ourselves because we are Hugh Jackson apologists. Obviously, Let's be honest. We are the official we, we were, podcast of Hugh Jackson. This is the Hugh Jackson show. I mean, the Tomahawk <laughs> show. Uh, we we were big fans of him when we played for him. Clearly, it seems that something changed towards the end of his career in Cleveland because there's not the same happy feeling in that locker room towards Hugh as there was when we were there. And maybe some of that's just the fact that they had lost so much. And I think just like the fans see Hugh Jackson as kind of the face of the losing in Cleveland, I think the players maybe see the same thing Mm -hmm. as Hugh Jackson was the face of the drama that was happening in that locker room with him and Todd Haley and the media and the fans. And so maybe just all of those things combined, it was easy for the players to be like, I'm I'm glad he's gone because in my mind, they, they couldn't disassociate the person from the performance and the record and all the misery that was surrounding was the record him when bad? he was there. <laughs> the worst of all time. <laughs> okay, it just wasn't. <laughs> just wanted to make sure we were so. clarifying. Uh, I had a, a quick question for you guys, too, as we finish up on this. But um, on the on the Savage scale, which is something I'm just inventing right now for the Tomahawk I show, like <laughs> where does Demarius Randall handing the ball to Hugh Jackson That's after an interception point. rank on the Savage scale? Hmm. I have it at a seven. That's it? Yeah, I just have a seven savagery because I talked to him after the game. He was on my radio show. And I asked him, I'm like, yo, like that was the most I that was the most savage thing we've seen in a long time. Did you plan that out? Did you like and it it, it sounded to me when at least when he was on my show, he, this is his direct quote was I have a lot of love for Hugh. He's an incredible man, he's an incredible coach. But he just looked like he needed a ball at that time, so I gave it to him. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a little while to unpack that statement, so I had to like sit with it. I think it was just like, 
right person, right place, right time. I think it was more of like everything together made it the savagery that it was from him laughing when he went to the Bengals to him being the one in pregame to say that they don't got A.J. Green, we're going to beat their ass, <laughs> to them actually beating their ass, him catching the pick. Uh-huh. What are the chances that's who catches the pick? And when he catches it, he's literally standing right in front of you, Jackson. Yeah, it was fate. Pretty amazing. It really was fate, man. So playing with Demarius Randall and having him on the Tomahawk show and doing some interviews with him with the Browns, I've come to learn that Demarius has no filter whatsoever. And that was part of the reason that he kind of didn't work out in Green Bay. Not because he wasn't a great player, but he just says exactly what he's thinking at that moment. <laughs> And that's why we got the famous uh, Twitter bet that if the Cavs win, he's going to buy everybody a jersey. <laughs> and then my bet where I was going to buy everybody a signed jersey and game-worn if the Warriors won. Uh, Yours was but 100% just, catfish, though. We weren't – you literally just did it for the retweets. Absolutely. But <laughs> Demarius did it. He was serious. And, like, he's an emotional guy, and he brings that onto the field, which is great. That helps a lot of guys – perform at their best and so he said stuff during the week where I kind of thought like okay he doesn't like Hugh and then I'm only going to give it an eight on the savage scale because if the move would have been followed with yeah I'm so glad Hugh Jackson's gone I hated that dude that would have been a 10 yeah because then we would have known he was giving him that ball to like rub his nose in that shit like he took that dog that pooped on the carpet and just rubbed his nose all in it right but I really got the feeling after the game that he actually really liked Hugh and <laughs> yeah. he thought in his mind in some perverted way that he was giving him a ball as a show of respect, which obviously nobody saw it that There's way. There's no way that was a sign of respect. I don't think it was a sign of – like I don't think it was a well, like a thought-out savage move. It wasn't a sign of respect. I think it was like, no, this is perfect. And it just – there's no better place in the world to live if you have no filter than Cleveland. Ohio like there's not a better organization you could not a better fan base for you to play in front of if if not Cleveland so I I like you felt like for the savagery I needed some post game like f f that dude kind of thing yeah that would have been awesome and you play him again you play him again maybe that's why it wasn't like unload the clip savagery in the pressers because we got another game coming up and we we still got to temper a little bit we don't want to motivate too many people no, no, I, but I don't think Demarius Randall has that much foresight. And that's my point. I feel like he lives in the moment more than yeah. any player on that Browns team. He says exactly how he's feeling in that moment. And I truly feel that he, in his mind, wasn't thinking about, oh, we got to play him again, so I don't want to like destroy this man's heart and soul. He was just like, no, I actually kind of liked him, and I thought it would be a cool move to get me a lot of attention and get my teammates pumped up if I gave him the football. And it just so happened that God gave him an interception where he could just run right out of bounds and give you the football. God was like, you know what? That would be hilarious. Here you go. Boom. Yeah. Let's see what yeah. you get. All right. Well, let's, let's turn. All right, let's- All right, guys. It's time for our favorite segment. Favorite segment all around the world. It's reached all. It's reached Asia. It's reached Europe. Everybody's been asking for it. It is time for Am I Tripping? 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 Dog? Am I tripping? I gotta be tripping. You tripping? All right, guys, yesterday, Phillip Rivers set a pretty absurd NFL record. He completed his first 25 straight passes. Uh, the Chargers beat the Cardinals 45-10. to 10. Guys, am I tripping? Or is Phillip Rivers a top-five quarterback of all time? We're going to get this out of the way quickly. You are big tripping. Phillip Rivers might not even be top 10. I love Phillip Rivers. I think he's a really good quarterback. I think he's undervalued, underrated. But all time, you got Peyton Manning, you got Tom Brady, you got uh, Brett Favre, Dan Marino, you got Drew Brees. I would put over top of Phillip Rivers. He at least has a Super Bowl. Joe Montana. There's just way too many quarterbacks. John Elway. At best, he's nine. Nine of all time is pretty good, though. It's incredible, Still, but, but it's, not top five. But he's tripping. Yeah, you're, he's not top five. I, I'm, I'm with you, Hawk. He is an excellent quarterback. He is underrated. He's overlooked because he's played his entire career with the Chargers, who are now the L.A. Chargers. They used to be the San Diego Chargers, the team that nobody ever paid any attention to. 
He has not had a stellar postseason record. I think if Phillip Rivers takes this team to the Super Bowl and they win the Super Bowl, we might start having these conversations about, is Phillip Rivers one of the best quarterbacks of all time? I'm not ready even to say if he wins the Super Bowl that he's a top five all-time quarterback. He's an excellent quarterback. He's not top five of all time because he hasn't done enough in the postseason yet. I got something for you right now. It's called okay. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Pat Mahomes. Those are the top five than- quarterbacks in the league right now. So Drew Brees, or I mean, uh, Phillip Rivers isn't even top five now. So- but I think here, let me let me give you this so quick. So when you're talking f- top five quarterbacks of all time, you're taking into account their entirety of their careers. When you're saying who's the top five quarterbacks today, you're saying in this snapshot in time, who are the five quarterbacks I would want on my team? So there's a little bit of a difference because you can't say Patrick Mahomes is a better career quarterback than Phillip Rivers because he's only had one season of playing in the NFL. So yes, I agree. He's a better quarterback on November 26, 2018, if you wanted to start a team or if you were buying a team right now. So that means you take Derek Anderson over Pat Mahomes when you're saying the best quarterback right now. No, 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 no. You you heard that wrong. What I'm saying is the – all time. When you're when as soon as you say all time, right. you're you're saying their career. Okay. So who's had a better career? Derek Anderson's had a better career than Patrick Mahomes right now. Patrick Mahomes has won nothing but a few regular season games right now. Right. So by that standard, <laughs> Derek Anderson <laughs> is better than Patrick Mahomes. You right, see, that's not no. really a fair comparison. <laughs> Who's had the better career? <laughs> Derek Anderson. He's played longer. Yeah. I don't even want to give you. Peterman. I don't even want to give you the justification <laughs> for talking about this topic. So All right. let's just go to the next one. All right, we will we will move on. But clearly, Joe Thomas said it right here on the Tomahawk Show. Derek Anderson is a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. Um, this episode is brought to you by Hello Sign, a Dropbox company. Sign documents 80% faster with HelloSign, the quickest way to get e-signatures for every type of document, so you can celebrate all those successful moments sooner. If you hate waiting for signatures, HelloSign is music to your ears. Try it for free today at hellosign.com. All right, guys, Texas Tech has parted ways with uh, their head coach, uh, Cliff Kingsbury. There's already been a little buzz about Cliff potentially coming to the NFL as an offensive coordinator. There was actually some people, a um, couple guys that write for the ringer. One of them is uh, Robert Mays, a guy I follow, was talking about, wow, what if you paired Cliff Kingsbury with Aaron Rodgers, and how incredible would that be? So here's my question to you guys. Kingsbury, former uh, quarterback, he played at Texas Tech. He's coached Johnny Manziel. He's coached Pat Mahomes. I think Texas Tech averages like 900 points per game on offense. Yep. So cool. am I tripping, <laughs> or would Cliff Kingsbury make an actually a pretty great NFL offensive coordinator? I think Cliff would make an excellent offensive coordinator in the NFL. I think what you're seeing in the NFL right now is so much trickle up of offensive concepts from college into the NFL that his creativity, his understanding of spacing and X's and O's can easily transition to the pro game. Now, I worry that in the pro game, you still have to run the ball a little bit. Like you still have to have an ability to have a very advanced rushing concept. And I think that's why you've seen teams like the Rams, the Chiefs, to a lesser extent, the the Niners, even though they don't have a quarterback right now, They've had a lot of success on offense because they have that background with the Mike Shanahan wide zone running scheme. And I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing, which is always a great thing for a media host to say, that Cliff has not developed that side of things as well as you have to be to be able to be an offensive coordinator in the NFL because this is what Kyle Shanahan told me. He goes, The reason I love running the ball so much, when we were in Cleveland, this is what he told me. He goes, because there's so many details and rushing the football is so much harder to coach and to learn and to detail up than passing the ball is that he was bored with passing concepts because it's so so easy. It's one high, it's two high, it's route concepts that are pretty much always the same. They change based on coverage, yeah, 
but it's such just a memorization thing. Whereas like, if you want to be good at running the football, it's so much technique and there's so much of it that it's a much more difficult concept to learn. I no, you're not tripping. I think Cliff Kingsbury would make a great offensive coordinator because I've played for offensive coordinators who didn't know jack shit about running the football. Um, and they were great, right? And I mean, <laughs> if they could do it, <laughs> I feel like anybody could do it. Not to mention, Cliff Kingsbury might be the best quarterback evaluator on planet Earth. When you think <laughs> about uh, Johnny Manziel, Davis Webb, and I get, I get he wasn't a world beater, but he didn't get out there and suck, so we never really quite know what kind of pro he was going to be. Um, but then you got Patrick Mahomes, you got Baker Mayfield, also came through the system. I do. I, I think, just like Joe said, the college game has influenced the pro game uh, for once, and I think Cliff is a guy. He's a relatable guy. He's a young guy. He's a former player. He understands it. Uh, so, yeah, there's certain offenses I don't think he'd be good for. Like, I've seen somebody suggest him being the offensive coordinator for the Browns, and I'm like – I don't think he and Baker have a, a great relationship based on <laughs> based on the history, but traitor. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, I think he'd be a great OC. So I, I'll finish this and put a cap on it and say he would be a great OC, but you would have to pair him with one of the great offensive line coaches that has a really good understanding of running the ball, and you could make him the run game coordinator. So Cliff is not responsible for implementing the, like the entire run game also. So you pair him with like a George Warhop or a Juan Castile or um, Alex Gibbs, you know, one of those guys who's been in a lot of really successful rushing attacks. I think you would have one hell of a tandem. All right, guys, final one today. Um, this cracked me up yesterday. I was watching the Vikings and Packers Sunday night game. Dalvin Cook scored a touchdown. And he like went up to his offensive lineman. He was like, we got to do the thing. We practiced all week. Remember, they picked up Adam Thielen and they held him <laughs> between their shoulders flat. And he became a, uh, a, a stick for the limbo. And Dalvin Cook went under it and a couple other players went under it uh, as well. That made me laugh so hard. Now, there were some other good ones yesterday, um, including, I think, after Tyler Lockett scored for the Seahawks, they recreated... Uh, Allen Iverson stepping over Ty Lue in the uh, in the NBA Finals, which was a good one. So, guys, am I tripping, or did the Minnesota Vikings just win the award for best celebration ever this season? Uh, I think you're tripping. I gave that one a seven. I felt mm. like that. I don't know if that's yeah, top five crowd. this season. It was it was good. Don't get me wrong, but we've seen some really really great ones. The Ty Lue AI one was my celebration of the weekend. That was amazing. The the reason why the the Tyler Lockett one was so good is because. It, when you seen them play, like they they had a cut where they played the AI like step back shot, step over, um, in unison with Tyler Lockett's, and it was almost perfect. They even had the two linemen setting like the the pick on the outside, and when you put them side by side, they were like almost perfectly in unison. And I'm like, that's special. That took some real life uh, choreography and coordination. So that's why it was my celebration of the weekend. All right, spoiler alert. I'm not an enormous NBA fan, so. I don't exactly understand why the Seahawks decided this was the moment to do the Allen Iverson step over recreation. I think it was really funny. I give it a seven because I think it was really well done. It was really funny to kind of reach back in time and pull that out. But there wasn't enough relevancy in there for me to give it a 10. Because if they would have done this against like uh, Philadelphia. Well, the week Ty Lue got fired. Or the week Tyloo got <laughs> fired, or even against the Browns. Like, give us a little bit of a connection to why it actually happened. Then I think it would have been a 10. It would have been the celebration of the year. It would have been amazing because it's creative. It surprised me as a fan. But without that connection, it just can't push it over the top. Okay. I had an idea for a celebration, and it was instead of when players score and they throw the football into the second deck of the stadium that's a five thousand dollar fine from the league what they should do is they should score fake like they're throwing the football drop it pull out five thousand ones and throw that into the audience and just watch the bills <laughs> trickle down on the fans they would go down as the best celebration of all time yeah it would and it would cost it would you the same amount better. of money <laughs> well, no, the fan, first of all, the NFL would fine you like 20000 so that's going to cost you 
a lot of hell, hella money if you're going to throw money into the crowd and start a riot, basically, is what you're <laughs> going to do. But to top that, you would pull out one of those like money cannons so you could shoot it and more evenly disperse the $5,000 in bills. Because if you just throw $5,000, what's going to happen? You. It's just going to like fly into your own face <laughs> and it's just going to fly into the field. And then you're going to just tempt all those guys in the front row from uh, jumping onto the field and trying to collect all that money and getting the fuck out of Dodge. You're right. We'll slingshot it. Slingshot the 5K ones. Just but, like you do at the, at the big boys club. That's right, baby. So... Going back to the Vikings celebration, I actually loved the Limbo celebration. That was my celebration. What was of the, the relevancy weekend. there? What was the- There was no relevancy, but it didn't need to be relevant. Like when you're re- recreating a moment in time, there needs to be relevancy. If you're just coming up with something that's funny and creative, and you're playing off the fact that Adam Thielen is a very thin Limbo bar looking dude, <laughs> that to me was funny. If if you're gonna win the celebration award from the Tomahawk Show, I need to be surprised. I need to think, wow, that's really creative. That is my litmus test. And I was laughing when I saw that, so I give the Minnesota Vikings the award for the best celebration ever. Okay, I get it. I mean, I think it's this Midwest bias, but if you say so, Joe. I mean, Tyler Lockett is an avid listener of the Tomahawk Show, but I digress. Um, guys, there's uh, so we finished with I Am Trippin'. That we have a no-huddle segment, and it, we can certainly talk about any other things you want to touch on. But I didn't put this in the rundown, but I really think – I really think there's something we haven't touched on today that we really need to get to. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to talk about it right now. Um, I don't know if you guys were watching the Jets and Patriots game at all. You know, the Patriots <laughs> won. Uh, they won big. It's fine. Nobody cares about the actual game. Uh, there was a moment when Cordero Patterson um, was on the ground. He had the football. And the cameras caught his hand, uh, you know, sort of in the groin area of a Jets player. And he, he wasn't letting go. He was holding on for dear life. And so somebody asked him about it after the game. Do you have the direct quote? I have the direct quote that I'd like to read to you now uncensored. (laughs) Um, Cordero Patterson said that uh, he was trying to get the guy off of him, and uh, this is is his quote of what he was doing. He said, quote, I'm a grown man. I don't need no one's... I can't can't get through this without laughing. I'm sorry. I'm a grown man. I don't need no one's ass and dick... (laughs) handballs in my face end quote guys i really need i really need your uh analysis on this uh Uh, what was uh first of all have you seen somebody hold on to it like that for dear life he was hanging on for dear life and then what do you think of the quote uh after the game i've gotten my junk uh squeezed under a pal numerous times in the game squeezed yeah (laughs) almost romantic yeah it's gotten real weird under there but this was bad (laughs) Not that the other ones weren't bad, because they are. And I'm not the junk-squeezing type. But this was bad because this wasn't in a pile. There was, it, he was laying on his back, and the other dude was like in plain sight. The camera angle was like perfectly caught the entire thing. And Firm is right. And Firm is what he had a grip on. He had a firm grip. <laughs> and it was like, okay, we all see that everything you just said wasn't true. It wasn't in your face at all. This, you were the aggressor in the situation. Um, and yeah, it got it got real weird, and he's going to have to come with a better explanation than that. I think he was embarrassed that everyone seen him, and they were asking him about it because he took he got real defensive, which usually is a telltale sign that it was your fault. I thought it was pretty funny because one the the junk grabbing, but two the explanation like like you mentioned. Oh yeah, he was all in my face, and so I had to grab it. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, that's what you do when the you don't want it in your in face. Your face you you want it in your hand, and that's where you need it. You need it. I'd rather have it there. In my face, but the uh, the best comment on the whole thing was actually um, Anderson's fiance, Saren Rory. Hopefully, I pronounced her name correctly. She tweeted after the game, "Not not cool. Uh, Henry is mine." <laughs> so she clearly got a little bit jealous that Corderell was getting right. a little more action. It's a love triangle. We got him the longest bit that she's gotten Sunday <laughs> so, action. Um, Dude plays every week. And here <laughs> lovers go, quarrel, finessing your way into a little. Rub and tug in the middle of a football game. Uh. So maybe we can get Saren Rory on the Tomahawk show and we can get a little uh, TMZ drama, a little three-way <laughs> lover's quarrel and find out what's going on, if there's some history here or uh, if we should know a little bit more about what's happening. But it reminds me a little bit of 
The only time I ever saw Alex Mack lose his cool in the middle of a football game, he was playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. This was, I don't know, in his fifth year or so. And there's a defensive lineman that was uh, a vet when he was a rookie that used to pick uh-huh. him named Sean Smith. And in the middle of the game, they were on a pile, and Sean knew that he could like just piss Alex off, so he grabbed his <laughs> junk. And Alex just flipped his shit i don't know if we can find a clip of this but he like went right after sean and tried to like kill him basically but of course as we know from the tomahawk (laughs) show if you have a helmet on you can't kill anybody unless you choke him so punching and pushing is going to do nothing but alex got a 15 yarder and then after the game he came out and said the reason i flipped my shit is because he grabbed my junk and everyone was like (laughs) yeah okay that makes sense I have to I have to say that um, you know after I heard stories like from former NFL guys like like yourselves about what happens at uh, the bottom of piles sometimes now anytime I'm watching a game on Sunday and there's a pile up I'm like oh my god what do you think's happening under there it's probably terrible let your mind wonder free I wouldn't even guys I'm gonna be honest if I was in the NFL and I saw a fumble and the ball was rolling away from me I'd be like no you guys got it I'm good I'm gonna stand over here I'm not gonna dive on that yeah. I would say piles, generally speaking, aren't too nasty unless there's a fumble that like a little guy like Hawk has grabbed and at the bottom of the pile there's a scrum and you're trying to get the ball back. Then all holes are open. There's no holds that are holds. Got it. (laughs) There's been many times where I've had the ball in my hand and all of a sudden somebody was trying to distract you with, a finger or two, and uh, it gets a little uncomfortable. Thank God you're wearing football pants and some really heavy and, well, and durable to, jock straps. Uh, Nat is, by the way, Nat's face during this whole conversation has been <laughs> phenomenal. My this first, is hilarious. Uh, my first ever game. This isn't a junk or whole reference that Joe's been using, but no, this is <laughs> a my first story? football huh? game preseason. Uh, first time on NFL game. We played in the Jets, um, and change of possession had to hurry about there lost my mouthpiece so i'm like okay i'll just go out for this one play go back and get it afterwards of course there's a fumble right behind me as i'm blocking the corner now it's my first game i'm trying to make the team i got to show that i'm tough and i got to go down and get this fumble i dive in head first it's a crazy pile up boom 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 people like grabbing punching it's my first time under nfl power it's terrible i get up and i'm like "Mm, my mouth feels weird my front tooth Fell out of my mouth. <laughs> Very first NFL game. I have a picture oh of it somewhere. God. I'll find it. Share it on social. Wow. But I went home with no front tooth in my mouth. Came out from jumping into a pile. The one play I didn't wear a mouthpiece in my entire career. You know, it's funny because in my college and pro career, I never wore a mouthpiece for a you single play. And I never chipped a tooth, never lost a tooth. And the only one play in your that, career you didn't wear a mouthpiece. I'm a banger, though, man. That's I, insane. I get down Think about dirty. The odds of that. I like the contact. That's the difference between me and you. I come to hit people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I guess you're right. You know, the worst thing that ever happened to me at the bottom of the pile, besides somebody trying to put their finger, you know where, was uh, I, I had like my eye tried to get gouged a couple times. <laughs> I, I want to say it was against Off the Bengals. The it was probably you, you cheap bastard. <laughs> Yeah, and it's tough when you have uh, the football in your hand and you got somebody digging in your eye to like protect yourself, other than the kind of squint and roll your head to the side. But um, I feel like maybe that was the old days in the NFL, or maybe I just didn't get in any scrums in the you end of my career because I don't remember any of these piles except for like early on in my career. And I get tackled too, so sometimes it's not just that's, that's true scrum. It's tackled. I end up at the bottom of a pile, and as people are yeah. getting up, they just do dirty stuff. Yeah. Vontez Burfick, not a guy you want to be under the power with. <laughs> he was dirty. He was a guy that would, would go for the orifices, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, he is. No filter there with his pals. All right. Um, I think this episode is run its course. And um, <laughs> that does it for the Tomahawk Show. <laughs> Appreciate it. Make sure you're hitting us up on social. Use the hashtag Tomahawk. Hit us up on Instagram and Twitter, at Tomahawk Show. Hit our voicemail up. Leave us a voicemail so we can feature you on the next episode of the tomahawk yeah joe any final thoughts if not i have one short jokes are a form of body shaming (laughs) okay (laughs) want everyone to know that are we allowed to body shame because we've been body shaming you the entire season of yeah this whole show is basically us body shaming you so but my realization right now is that 
I've been being body shamed my whole life, even when I was in shape. That's a good point because when when you look at kind of the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years in American society, we have gone from like politically incorrect to very politically correct, where all these things that used to be common People would, you know, use racist terms and uh, cultural yeah. appropriation. That was always and, racist, but go ahead. But, okay, <laughs> cultural appropriation, like, those are all things that uh, were more common in society, and then I now they've the been good brought, old brought to the good old days. <laughs> they've been brought to the forefront, and, like, that's why freedom of speech is so important, is so you can bring these uh, bad ideas and thoughts out into the open, and then we can shame them as a society and, and remove them from our lexicon. So is shortness going to be one of those things that's next where you can't tease somebody about it and it be socially acceptable? It shouldn't be. I'm going to be the first advocate. I'm going to be the spokesperson for it. This is going to get me. (laughs) I'm going to get a million dollar endorsement deal from this. Yeah, that's a good question. There's a tall person society. I've heard this. I've never benefited from it, but I know there's a tall person society. Is there a short person society that protects the interest of short people like Andrew? There should, there should be. I mean, it's ridiculous the, the way people body shame me. Um, so yeah, there's, there's that. That's, <laughs> that's my final thought. That's Great final thought. Well, let's wrap uh, it up. Yeah, that's it. Well, see you guys next time. Nat, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself. <laughs>